Backed empowers you to get it together with a single digital wallet. Use Backed to aggregate, convert, send, and spend digital assets like crypto, loyalty, and rewards points and gift cards. Go to backedbakkt.com and start treating your digital assets just like cash. I'd like to also thank Kraken. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit kraken.com scoop to learn more. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy-to-use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone. No account registration is required. Download Exodus at exodus.com and you're ready to go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block, and we are in studio once again, and I am joined by, do I go with Luminary? Do I go with Investment Savant? I was just trying to find the right adjective. Just another block on the chain. Yeah, another block in the crypto investing world, co-founder and managing partner at Dharma Capital, Andrew Keys. Andrew, I was trying to pull up the article I wrote when you first launched the fund, back in 2019, or at least the, the sort of inception of the fund when you joined and when it was announced. It was a $100 million fund. I'm sure it's an order of magnitude larger now, two and a half years later. How's business? Business is great. Uh, we have been focusing on our thesis, which is the scalability of the particular protocols. And uh, I can elaborate a little bit on what we're actually doing. Yeah. So primarily, I would say our flagship concept was quantitative systematic alpha on Ether. Uh, simply put, that was generating more Ether in Ether returns. So for every 100 Ether we had, we wanted to generate, let's say, one new Ether a month. We could do that by lending. We could do that by trading. And most recently, we could do that by staking. We currently manage over 10,000 validators, so over 320,000 Ether. And that's staking kind of an institutional grade, uh, generating tremendous yield. And so how has the thesis evolved or what you can do to sort of extract more ETH out of your holdings? Because the market structure has matured, the counterparties on the lending side has matured, and then obviously staking has been introduced through ETH too. So how, how has... Sure. So when I consider the market structure, I, I would think about my various risks and Trading risk, obviously volatility, There's there are fundamentals that we can consider and we research and we look at everything from wallets, GitHub repositories, just tracking gas fees and, and what's being spent so we could kind of quantify because we are net long our position, but we have that versus lending where we have counterparty risk. And really with staking, we abstract our volatility risk and our counterparty risk and our real risk that I think we understand pretty well, having come from consensus and building Ethereum from the ground up, essentially, is the evolution of Ethereum 2.0 and if it will actually occur. And so basically the merge, which is Ethereum's next large upgrade, because we can generate the Ether through staking, 
but we can't withdraw it until we merge. So basically we can generate a risk-free, if I dare say risk-free yield where we don't have potentially down months of trading or counterparty risk. Mm -hmm. So what have been some of the new risks that have creeped up in the market that kind of might have to make you guys think differently? So, I mean, I think we are about to witness a regulatory environment that is excruciatingly painful. And that is a result of being able to go create a wallet, go on to a decentralized exchange, have a million dollars of X and trade it for a million dollars of Y with no KYC, no accreditation, investor accreditation. And I think that until we start solving some of those problems or self-regulating and complying, the decentralized nature of blockchain is under imminent threat. You guys, when you first came out with the announcement of the fund's launch, kind of as a part of the marketing included how you guys were registered with the CFTC. Yep. And so you guys have these regulatory parameters around you. Does that fend off any sort of issue that you see in this looming yeah, crisis? Great question. So personally, uh, you know, I helped build a lot of these DeFi applications and, and early tools early on in the space. And I experiment with them on my personal account, but the fund can't touch anything DeFi. So we have to use uh, registered and centralized exchanges. So we know our counterparties or at least have KYC venues. Uh, we can strike nav. It's hard to extract the actual data for trade reconciliation from just a permissionless flavor of Ethereum or Uniswap. So aspects of that, and really with the staking, we can kind of generate that information and simply uh, have fund administration around that. We're also launching something that I think would be interesting to you. Uh, we, we're doing a CFTC registered swap repository, swap data repository for Filecoin lending. So basically, in order to geographically diversify the Filecoin storage providers out of China, which is over 80%, we're creating an incentive program where if one is geodiversifying out of China and one is using the Filecoin Plus network, which is uh, storing the kind of the important data versus just plain ones and zeros, they could have access to our lending facility. And we uh, submit them through a an ISDA, and that ISDA gets submitted to the Chicago Mercantile Exchange's Swap Data Repository. So that's like an example of what we're trying to do in terms of regulatory compliant products that can merge you know, decentralized protocols, but within a regulatory compliant construct. It's a really interesting topic because I feel like it speaks to something I ask a lot of guests about, which is in a lot of ways, DeFi is what Wall Street has done, but repackaged and rebundled from first principles. And I guess given a product like that, it can't exist on its own. You need these sort of centralized derivatives to sort of you know, either incentivize things like folks going out of China to... So I think we can get there. I think we can get there. Uh, you know, Aaron Wright, uh, he is a legal genius who has spent a lot of time on codifying the ISDA, for an example. But we, we don't have, and I think there's going to be a market deluge of KYC providers 
that are figuring out ways to comply with making wallets on-chain, whitelisted, KYC verifiable, having certain attestations, whether it's accredited investor uh, on the SEC side or a qualified participant on the CFTC side. So I think we're, we're getting there, but I think that shoe has to drop first. The one thing that like I always wonder, given how fast some of these companies have grown, whether it's an exchange like Coinbase, you know, it's valued at like $50 billion thereabouts, or a number of these funds we were talking about, you know, that got into this space earlier now, $1 billion, $5 billion, $10 billion, $15 billion firms uh, in terms of their assets. I can't imagine that the regulators can just like not talk to them or ignore them. Like when you have that much capital, like you're in a really precarious situation because if you kill that, then it's not just, you know, Andrew who decided one day to wake up and like do this thing. There's LP interests, counterparties, and counterparties and totally the people, you, you know, you guys are a lean team, but like there are, I'm sure downstream effects of hundred percent, you know, the guy who cleans your boat, you know, whatever it is. I don't have a boat, <laughs> but yeah, but you know what I mean? Like <laughs> you clamp that down. Like I, I don't think they would want to necessarily do it. So what's the path forward? So, so I, I think, uh, we're looking at it, you know, product by product. And uh, another one that we're creating that, that I think is, a, is another great example is, is we're launching a layer two scaling solution or funding a layer two scaling solution that we'll be actively participating in called NAMI, which actually aims to attempt to solve some of these problems. Basically, we have the ability to verify or employ verifiable KYC, create kind of a whitelisted garden for counterparties to transact on and have instant finality. So we, when we talk about things like optimistic rollups, there's a seven day latency for f the finality of the transaction. And we can do that basically instantly. So I think that, you know, whether it's quantitative systematic alpha on ether, we don't use DEXs. On the swap facility, we submit them to the swap data repository and everyone's KYC'd. On actually building products on top of things like Ethereum, we build them in the construct of having to consider regulatory compliance. So I think it's kind of product-based and driven by the concept that we want to be best actors. When you harken back on your time in your previous life at Consensus and just being early in the ETH world, did you see it coming to a state like that? I thought we had to. I did think that, I, you know, I always thought MetaMask has to be AMLKYC, full stop. And, uh, you know, things, things of that nature. But I didn't think it would get hostile. I think we're going into a hostile environment now. So what happens to MetaMask? I think MetaMask is awesome. I think they're a great team. I think that there's going to be some type of participation where you have to have AMLKYC within MetaMask. I think we'll get there. I feel like a lot of people listening will be like, that's really bad. Like that, that, you know, come on. Like that's the whole point of MetaMask and engaging with this DeFi world is that you don't have to KYC. I mean, when you think about, you know, bank secrecy and OFAC and FinCEN, you know, $10,000, anything north of that it gets reported. So I, I think that it would be a fool's errand to think that anyone's going to be okay with transferring more than $10,000 anywhere 
anonymously or pseudonymously. Call me the boomer. <laughs> One thing that you mentioned before we turned on the mics was you've been surprised by the degree to which more centralized layer ones have kind of come to the forefront in capturing the attention and and mind space of the crypto world. Why do you think that ultimately ended up happening? User experience. You know, the world is primarily still based in a Web2 construct where we click our Uber and it just shows up. We don't wait seven to 10 to a minute for a transaction to settle. And simply put, the Solanas of the world are a material improvement at finality with a complete sacrifice and decentralization. But I don't know how much the world really cares about decentralization. I think that, you know, the world likes memes and pictures of their friends in social media, but they don't know that Facebook is necessarily selling that information to advertisers as an example. So I think we like good user experience as a society, and we don't necessarily know about those trade-offs. And hopefully our industry can recognize what's healthy for us as a society. Yeah, it's kind of a, another parallel would be commission-free trading, right? So like, you know, it's nice. Because they're selling your data to Citadel. Yeah. And you're going to eat you up. Routing the trades out to there. And so, yeah, it kind of does speak to the trade-offs, but one trade-off is the fact that, you know, this thing went down for 17 hours. So yeah. that's the other side of the proverbial coin. And I think we'll get to a place, and a lot of these debates are timelines. I would say in two, three years, where you have this vibrant layer two scaling solution environment on something like Ethereum that is anchored or atop of Ethereum that is anchored in a sharded evolution of Ethereum 2.0, the use case of having Solana move quickly uh, may not be as interesting. Can I ask you a, like, a sophomoric markets question? Sure. Why has Ether been stuck in the doldrums, do you think? Stuck in the doldrums? I mean... Like over the past six months. It's a 9,000x, <laughs> you know, over the last five years. I mean... But the doldrums, I mean, it, I mean, it was all-time highs in May. It, it can't go straightly vertical. I think it had to I think it had to come back to reality. And I, and I think that these are beta plays to a certain extent. They don't sit in vacuums. Evergrande is related to crypto, whether we like it or not. Uh, you know, China saying no to Bitcoin. And no to mining, even though Ethereum's transitioning proof of stake is interrelated. And so I think that I'm totally fine with it. But I look at this in multi-year cycles versus kind of a daily. Gives you a chance to buy. Market structure. Yeah, it gives you a chance to get in below 4,000. More and more. Fingers crossed. More and more. I think we're sitting around 3,028. Yeah, I mean, if, if we held my numbers for 2750 and 40. Mm. Uh, I thought that we were fine. Anything below that, we'd be susceptible, I would say, to something material. But I think that we that we still have a few shoes to drop with regulatory oversight and maybe overbearance. Mm. When you think about the tailwinds for ETH over the next year, or maybe we can think longer term, is it DeFi that's going to be built around it? Is it NFTs? Is it the metaverse? I think that it's 
found product market fit in the digitization of all assets. And I think it's interesting where where people kind of bashed on the concepts of ICOs, but they're okay with DeFi. Really, all it was was capital formation, which is was just a financial instrument, ICOs. And mind you, there were kind of there was regulatory scrutiny, understandably, because they weren't done, I would say, in a compliant way. But it was absolutely the future of capital markets formation. And I think that it doesn't necessarily matter what vertical this is, because it's a horizontal substrate for digitizing assets and reinventing how our society agrees or disagrees with each other. You can create employment contracts that get paid by the second. You can have a food stamp that can be used for X, but not Y. It's like infinite. It's like the internet. That's kind of what gripped you at at the beginning, beginning. you know, connecting to your background, building out that medical data company, you know, you saw the ability to program into it. If X, then Y. I was failure. Yeah. And you were hooked. Yeah. Yeah. So simply put, I, uh, I didn't touch Bitcoin really until I used it to purchase ether. And that, that was a bad decision, but simply put, uh, Alice paying Bob didn't really interest me adding arbitrarily complex business logic, you know, if X happens, then payment else failure, the evolution of smart contracts absolutely exploded my thought processes. And I uh, literally hunted down Joe Lubin, having never met him at the first ever (laughs) Ethereum meetup. And then we got to work on building consensus. Yeah. So tell me about those early days at consensus, because I think it's obviously, um, it's a zeitgeist of of the crypto world, and and it's gone through its own um, Evolution. evolutions, ups and downs, sure. and ups again. Absolutely. What was it like in those early so, days? So, so so I mean, we were in a WeWork office in Brooklyn, no bigger than this. Uh, there were a handful of people, uh, really sharp software engineers for the most part. We were building a company with software that didn't exist for an ecosystem that didn't exist. So there was really no developer tools. There were no rules. There was just this construct of digitizing assets, digitizing the concept of our identity and embedding those assets in a peer-to-peer fashion in arbitrarily complex logic. And, and, and really not even thinking about like the true legal pros that we could embed, like the concept of digitizing the ISDA with what Aaron Wright did, that was like light years away. <laughs> but uh, but it was unbelievable. We had enough freedom to really experiment with anything. One of the most fun things I think for me was now October of 2015, so almost six years ago, uh, the first time uh, Ether crossed one dollar was when we put a permission version of Ethereum onto Microsoft Azure, and we created the first derivative. So we created a total return swap for Microsoft stock and gold. And that was literally the first derivative ever. And it was it was a basic concept, but we it literally reverberated around the world. And we were able to use Microsoft scale and display it in New York, and Redmond, and Singapore, and London, and that, was a great way where we learned how to kind of scale with partners 
and teach the power of the technology. I feel like that kind of speaks to the business model or the position of consensus maybe in the 2018, 2019 era. It seemed like they were trying to do, you know, things like municipal bonds on the blockchain and seeing how they could get like Wall Street to use Ethereum in one sense. And that really didn't happen to the extent that DeFi protocols and decentralized exchanges exploded. Like, totally. I bet if you ask most people at Consensus or any Ethereum firm, like, what's going to happen first? Like, the proliferation of like Ethereum based municipal bonds or like a company run by some kid in Brooklyn being worth like, I don't know, $10 billion. $10 billion. Yeah. I think they would have opted for the former. And I think it was. Was a With all due respect, no, Hayden. No, I, I mean, Hayden's a superstar. Uh, I think there was consensus has served many purposes and maybe to the disadvantage of creating product, but for the benefit of the entire ecosystem, uh, they had to educate everybody. They felt, you know, not only building the developer tools that enabled Hayden to build Uniswap, and frankly, consensus took that all on the chin. No one paid for Truffle, you know, that everyone uses to use developer tools. MetaMask just started monetizing. Uh, yesterday. Yesterday. <laughs> Infura helped stand up and load balance public permissionless Ethereum. You know, so I think it served the purpose of that developer ecosystem. It also did kind of the, the art of the possible in every vertical for enterprise from the central banks to the investment banks to the oil and gas companies, to the healthcare companies, to the blue chip techs, like the Microsofts and the Amazons. Mm. Uh, so I think that their evolution has been to narrow in and focus now that this ecosystem is born and compete in it. But I think that it, it is, it's like a battleship and uh, it's harder to, to, to navigate a battleship than a, you know, a little boat, uh, one of those giddies the what are they called the little boats that you can kind of drive around um you know th with a three-person startup giddy giddy okay cool dinghy dinghy yeah exactly dinghy yeah so i mean i i i have all the respect in the world for for those people and and joe but the ecosystems are growing up and they're competing and the there are wars everywhere there's wars at the application layer there's wars at the developer tooling layer. There's wars at the virtual machine layer. You know, having WebAssembly versus EVM versus, you know, what Solana is doing. There are literally, it is a Byzantine environment. And so does it stay Byzantine? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's welcome to the rest. Of, you know, it was, everyone was kind of a revolutionary back then. And now it's getting into like the slog, the war of just day to day. Just like, you know, early internet versus you know, five years, 10 years into it. But that's also bringing the best of the Web2 entrepreneurs, Web2 engineers, and kind of things like, you know, lean methodology of project management and software development, agile, the space is rightfully maturing. In what position do the banks end up finding themselves? Hands tied behind their back. I think that you know, trading GBTC or some cash settle derivative is not that interesting. And I think the silver foxes, the grandmas and the grandpas 
have a grandson or a granddaughter that they'd rather learn this from than than having Goldman or City or Morgan Stanley charge, you know, a 3% fee to have Bitcoin exposure. Yeah, I, I think they're going go to I think they're going to go direct. I mean, and you can see the balance sheets of the, the Coinbase's of the world and, you know, let alone like the newer, sexier FTXs. But I mean, it's 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 happening. Back is the digital wallet of the future, empowering you to manage all of your digital assets from a single place. Back puts the power in your hands to get your crypto, loyalty and rewards points and gift cards together to choose how you want to use them. Treat your digital assets just like cash and convert, send or spend them using Back. Get started today and get it together with Back. Sign up at backbakkt.com. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Now with the new Kraken app, it's easier than ever to buy and sell over 60 of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the go 24-7. Simply download the Kraken app, connect your bank account, and start investing for as little as $10. Just a minute is all it takes to get started. I also want to give a special thanks to Exodus. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy to use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone and interactive charts let you view the price history of a specific asset and your portfolio's performance over time. Sync your wallet across multiple devices to access your funds from anywhere. Maybe the best part is Exodus is integrated with the Trezor hardware wallet, making advanced security easy for everyone. Download Exodus at exodus.com today. When you think about this week, at mainnet, you know, it's been a long time coming for us to all get back together. Yep. I don't know if we've been in the same room together before. It certainly felt like we we have. I, I think yeah, we have. We have. I've, I, you know, I've always been a fan. I think you've got a good. You're a little bit of a smart ass. Oh well, obviously you're a little, at the hotel, but no, 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 no. We've been in the same room before. You're a little bit of a smart ass. You're a little bit of like a Renaissance man. You're Italian like me, so it's very yeah, much uh, yeah. a, a farce. <laughs> Um, rena well, <laughs> Renaissance to a degree, I think maybe cause I can make those good sandwiches and do a podcast. So that's, you know, that's enough of a diversity. Um, so, so can I ask? Yeah, that was the thing that you said you were going to do. So I grew up, I guess, biased, you know, solely focused centrically and there was enough and I was just overwhelmed by Ethereum. And I do think that it has the most robust growth even if it doesn't catch the next 10x and and something smaller does today you are i imagine overwhelmed by potential news coming in how do you parse it and how do you prioritize what's fluff what's real and what's going to move the needle in six months or a year or five years? Well, it's a really interesting question. The thing about being a journalist is you you kind of benefit from not having a bag, so to speak. You know, obviously I own Bitcoin and Ethereum, but not in any size that would matter. And I don't work for a company, right? I work mm. for a third, you know, yeah. you, you call it an independent media company. So I don't have like... 
I have the ability to see things when they happen and, and not be like, all right, well, no, I work in this domain for this blockchain or for this project. So I can't, I'm not going to distract myself. My whole job is to sort of distract myself of what's going on and then decide that which is important or innovative. And it's very easy to do that because you, I ask smarter people uh, than me. And, and so if there's a new product launch, I'll say, if it's a trading product, I'll go to traders and say, will you use this? Would you ever want to use this? And, you know, and each one will give a different answer. And then I, what I do before I like even write anything is I have to like kind of distill that into my own brain. And then I go back to the company or project and be like, all right, here are the pitfalls, benefits, and then they come back. And so then I, then you sort of weigh the um, level of importance, but it's, it's really just tapping into the um, hive mind of the space on one side you have the companies coming in trying to tell you stuff and then you have your sort of sources and connections and we've done this before in twitter yeah. dms where yeah, i'm like absolutely. is this is, is this, this real or bullshit is this interesting yeah. to you and you know some people are on the one side of the table and some people are on the other but um it takes a village it's wild because people ask me questions and want to know my opinion i go i don't have an opinion i just take others thoughts and aggregate them and then try to find what is closest to the aggregate truth because truth is really in some respects sometimes um subjective all respects i mean i think that's that's the interesting concept of truth there's you know your side my side and the truth you know there's there's three sides to the story mm -hmm. so that's the process um do you think that the market is ahead of its skis though we talked about i gave it, the well, other so side we, we had a pullback and and i think that's a healthy pullback I told you my levels and, mm -hmm. and, and we bounced off those, thankfully. And I think that this is not operating in a vacuum. You get Jerome Powell that says anything about the party ending or the party slowing down, got a 35% pullback next day mm. that, or that, that minute, not even next day. But with Delta variants uh, occurring, I don't foresee any of that stopping. And uh, what what I hope and what what is proven to occur is that you've got the smartest entrepreneurs or one we as a industry continue to see the smartest entrepreneurs and smartest technologists and the best looking journalists with the best hamstrings in bike shorts. Now I lost my train of thought. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> so, so basically evolve into a Web3 frame of mind. And once you go down that metaphorical rabbit hole, you don't come out. And I think that the 17 froth and following 18 pullback was necessary, but it brought a ton of entrepreneurs that are building, you know, the, the arguable 21 or 22 froth and the inevitable metaphorical 23 pullback or the 22 pullback, but it's a, it's a unilateral direction. I don't see anyone going backwards. Do you have any thoughts on NFTs? I do. I did not at all think they would be this popular this quickly. I was very close. I mean, we were in a little dingy. Uh, You're in a dinghy. No, well, we were in we were in a dinghy in the boat example, but we were in a dingy 
office building in in Bushwick, and I was with John Crane, who went on to found and drive Super Rare, and I couldn't wrap my head around it. You know, like yeah. I can copy paste it, I can right click it, but I mean, the, the what I do think is phenomenal is the concepts that that secondary and tertiary trade that can embed the royalty mm. to, to the primary creator. So if if I sell you the NFT and I embed the business logic that says if you sell it to somebody else, I get a 10% royalty on that secondary tertiary trade. I think that's amazing. I think, you know, the original concepts of CryptoKitties could, well, you know, where you could actually breed the cats are now being used in NFTs in drug manufacturers where you can actually track the provenance of the raw ingredients of the drugs to make the compound. And we're starting to see the NFT use cases in supply chains, which I think will be fascinating. And then you can have, you can add accounts receivable payables to that factoring, and, and then you really can actually use this technology to its fullest extent. But we're still early days. And then maybe everything's an NFT. No, I mean, things will be fungible and things will be non-fungible. I and mean, there's that distinction. Mm-hmm. What sort of defines the distinction? What falls into the one camp? So, I mean, you know, currency will be fungible, I think. I think that unique characteristics or, or assets that must have unique properties, I think all real estate will be an NFT. And then I think, you know, you know as important as the NFT itself will be like the reputational attributes of the assets where you could, you know, embed liens on the properties and not be able to transact them until the liens are removed. So, so I, I think there, there are concepts that we can kind of add to them uh, that'll be important. It's interesting because I didn't expect the NFT craze because it came in like these weird yep. cycles, right? First totally. it was like, Crypto Kitties and then Top Shot and then now kind of OpenSea and, and then Axie Infinity kind of stepping in with the gaming aspect totally. of it. And so it's like, all right, it, you know, every time it kind of like peaks and then troughs, you're like, do I need to pay attention to this? And it's like, sure, because there is this long term yeah. possibility. But there's um, total froth right now in overpriced JPEGs. Mm -hmm. But I think the, the, the core concept is revolutionary. Yeah. And so how do you like as a maybe personally, you know, do you want to get into these? Things? All right. So, like so funny story. So I have a lovely 25 year old analyst that begrudgingly because he's an amazing team player. Shout out Hyunsu deals with our kind of trad fi regulatory compliant, which I still think is cool, but we don't want to go to jail. So we, mm -hmm. we, we build these compliant products and he grinds through the Filecoin swap facility but all he wants to do is NFTs. All he talks about and he thinks that, you know, the chromy squiggle is the best thing since sliced bread. I'm like, dude, it's a chromy squiggle. And what I'd say is that he's showing me how they're building communities. Like what Board Ape Yachts Club is doing where you have these in-person events, but you can't go to them unless you have the actual NFT. So it's like almost embedding like a ticket. And then they can sell merchandise. And so I think that I could see a world where the NFT becomes your ticket and that becomes a memory that you have some form of, but you're going, you're getting other intrinsic benefit from them. And then I think another big piece of the NFT market 
are, are these donation based badges. So I participated, Danny Ryan uh, from the Ethereum Foundation gave a presentation on uh, the merge. So proof of work evolving into full proof of stake. And he NFT'd various aspects of the deck. And he said, if you buy these NFTs, uh, the full amount goes to researchers at the Ethereum Foundation to further scaling. Another great example of that is the Lobby Lobsters where they raised 4 million bucks in an hour uh, from the entire community for lobbyists to educate. And when you look at, you know, Chamber of Digital Commerce, Blockchain Association, Coin Center, how much they've had to grind to raise money versus, you know, th this capital formation funding mechanism where you have a badge of this silly lobster, but it proves, hey, I care about the industry and all the proceeds or 90% of the proceeds, you know, whatever that number is, uh, went to this nonprofit endeavor to benefit society. So I think that those are two good examples where the actual digital asset is really just kind of a memory for you, but you're, you're using this as a mechanism to donate. So I think that's really cool. Hmm. That is really interesting. Um, you mentioned, um, this is a... Horrible segue, but just because I got a yeah. email about it. But you mentioned Evergrande yeah. before. Oh boy, presents a got an email presents a buying opportunity for crypto. It's an interesting what, take. What are, what do they want to sell? With Evergreen's troubles impacting the crypto market, they want to offer an interview with this executive at this firm. What do you think? Do you think like markets are all kind of tied together? That was yeah. your point. Yeah, so yeah, like it, it's all beta. Yeah. So why? What like this is no different than some of the other macro things that have happened. Sure. Yeah, hundred percent. And we would have thought, you know, with the Bitcoin as digital gold thesis, ether that could be sometimes hearkened to with digital oil for the Ethereum economy thesis, the non-correlation, but the markets are too immature. The markets are way too immature right now. When you talk about $110 trillion uh, securities-based capital markets and you throw in derivatives there, you're, you're at a quadrillion. Uh, versus the $2 trillion crypto market that there is now. It's, it's just all interrelated. And it has to be because it's just so, it's like a drop. It's like yeah. the size of Facebook. What is Facebook, like a trillion or maybe yeah, it's two? And, and, and the budgets, or I would say the the books of, you know, your, 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 your mid-tier macro hedge fund that's using crypto to juice the returns, probably the risk managers of, the, of those funds probably the one of the first things to sell would be the crypto. Mm. So which is what you saw in March 2020. In the end the dollar was whatever Is that wanted. how your LPs you think think of think of it? No. Diamond I I I've, I've I've got them trained. So you know, <laughs> we don't even consider absolute dollar return. We're we're thinking That's right. You know. That was something I remember you really pounded the table on when we first spoke about how all the returns are kind of denominated, denominated in ETH. Which is like that's how you kind of. That's a, it's, that's how I think about it because I mean things go up and down, you know, ether, ten x or you know whatever, and so. Yeah, one ETH is still one ETH. So what do you think? Where do you think? Um, you know, you look at the market right now. There's tons of conversations happening, and uh, with the backdrop of mainnet, um, yeah. where do you find yourself standing as a contrarian? I am a contrarian in so much as I don't. 
necessarily believe in the staying power of many of the competing L1s once the kind of liquidity provision incentive programs leave. Mm. And I think I am contrary. So I'm, I'm a Bitcoin minimalist. I've always been. Uh, Maybe those programs will never end because the VCs are always going to be behind them. Maybe I've been wrong before. I think that Bitcoin's going to have a really tough time uh, when all of these networks, you know, some of them are already are completely proof of stake. Um, but, you know, when like E2 shuts off proof of work completely and you've got, you know, nine out of 10 layer ones have just reduced their energy consumption 99.999%. P.S. They all can execute arbitrarily complex business logic versus this NFT that doesn't even have the JPEG uh, <laughs> that's burning all the electricity. So uh, I think that and frankly, we can digitize gold. You can have digital representations of bars of gold. So so I think that Bitcoin's going to have a tough 22. Differentiating itself yeah. um, among and it just, those just, assets. Just relevance. There was a talk about, you know, Bitcoin's place in a multi-chain world. And it was, you know, it can be used as collateral. Mm. Um, and and basically as collateral, the, the use case was wrapping it and putting it on Ethereum and then uh, borrowing against it using all of the DeFi apps. Well, your friends, you, you know, you talked to Scaramucci. He had a deck when he was raising his Bitcoin fund about the, yeah. there are qualities that make Bitcoin superior to gold and people have raised money on that. So, so that's totally fair. And and I was amazed in where Paul Tudor Jones, where Scaramucci, where kind of these legacy funds had to enter. And I was actually disappointed that there wasn't a more complicated thesis than kind of the digital gold narrative. And they really couldn't get to what a decentralized application is, what examples of DeFi or, you know, decentralized insurance policies and decentralized capital pools could be. But I mean, I guess it's crawl, walk, run. And if we, you know, go back to yesteryear, you know, the, the gold ETF 10xing the price of gold, I don't even know what that number is. That hasn't even happened yet, and there inevitably will be a Bitcoin yeah. ETF approved. So you know, if we're if we're at you know fifty thousand, forty thousand, whatever that number is, you know, the, the, there could be an, another ten x in Bitcoin, and then you know we're still so early, you know, for the rest of history. So so there's merit to both sides of that equation. Yeah, I guess that's more from like a. Well, I don't know. Would an e- like an ETF launch that would that fall into fundamentals or like technicals? No, because, I think I have fundamentals. Yeah, I mean, but, I mean if if it, if it makes it, you know, it it drives down barriers. That type of approval uh, makes bulge brackets able to sell it. RAA markets able to sell it easier. You, you, and the, and the cost it's egregious what GBTC charges. Nice work if you can get it. Well, Andrew Keys at Dharma Capital, we really appreciate you for coming on the show today. Leave GBTC with the final word. Um, <laughs> well, you know, it had been the most successful product in blockchain. Probably uh, in history. Know, That's why they can't stop talking about it at these boomer events. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and, and that, you know, obviously the premium's upside down right now. But before that, I mean, it was making money hand over fist. But <laughs> so uh, there's your decentralized world for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, that's a whole other <laughs> yeah. topic. People ask me that all the time. Critical folks peering in from the outside how is this crypto world so great if the biggest players are 
just centralized money grabbers. But that's not so much the case anymore. Yeah. And I think that we have to look at this in a timeline and we're still really just experimenting with the technology, unfortunately. Or Andrew, I'm glad you didn't use a baseball analogy because it's gotten pretty trite at this point. Fourth inning now. Uh, I feel like we've been in the third inning for the past five years. I'd say that we, we haven't gotten to the game yet. Yeah, we, well, we haven't even <laughs> laced, laced our sneakers. Um, where can our listeners learn more about what you and, and your 25-year-old analyst are doing? <laughs> At Andrew Dharma underscore cap, and it's Dharma Digital Asset Risk Management Advisor, so there's no H. D-A-R-M-A underscore C-A-P. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back for you again with another great guest. Have a great day.